All right, guys, let's get right into it. I had a listener reach out to me that I hadn't heard from in a while, and he let me know that he was climbing out of a rut, and my episodes recently helped him. And you know what? To show my gratitude, I want to share three stories that I've used to get me out of plenty of ruts in my life. When I tell you I've seen the lows of lows, I've been in places like that. And these three stories have helped me get out of those places. These three stories have helped me recalibrate my direction that I'm going and help me get back onto my journey and help me apply more of that champagne throttle. This will be an episode you can always come back to for motivation and insight. And in case you didn't know, Champagne Throttle is all about accelerating towards your spiritual, your sexual and your financial goals while enjoying the journey. And I tell you what, if you keep these three stories in your heart, if you keep these three stories in mind, you'll be much more likely to enjoy the journey because you will always be headed in the right direction. Are you ready? Here we go. These stories are told in a specific order and you'll see why after hearing all three of these stories so in our very first story this story is about two frogs two frogs left the safety of their swamp one day and ventured into a nearby farm to explore soon they found themselves in a dairy where they found a large milk pail hopping into the pail hopping into this bucket they found that it was half filled with fresh cream the two little frogs were absolutely thrilled They had never tasted anything so delicious. Soon their bellies were full. Feeling sleepy, they decided it was time to leave. And that's when they realized they were in trouble. They had no trouble hopping in. But how were they going to get out? The inside of the bucket was too slippery to climb. And because they couldn't reach the bottom and there was nothing for them to step on for traction, hopping to safety was out of the question too. They were trapped. Frantic, they began thrashing about, their feet scrabbling for a foothold on the elusive, slippery curve of the pale sides. Finally, one frog cried out, It's no use. We're doomed. No, the other frog gasped. We can't give up. When we were tadpoles, could you have dreamed that someday we would emerge from the water and hop about on land? Swim on, brother, and pray for a miracle. But the first frog only eyed his brother sadly. There are no miracles in the life of a frog, he croaked. Farewell. And he sank slowly out of sight. The second frog refused to give up. He continued paddling in the same tiny circle over and over, hoping against hope for a miracle. An hour later, he was paddling in his futile little circle. He no longer even knew why. His brother's dying words clutched at his thoughts as fatigue tugged at his tiny muscles. Was my brother right? He thought desperately. Are there, mir- are there no miracles in the life of a frog? Finally, he could swim no more. With a whimper of anguish, he stopped paddling and let go, ready to face his fate. Yet to his surprise, unlike his brother, the second frog did not sink. In fact, he stayed right where he was as if he was suspended in midair. He stretched out a foot tentatively and felt it touch something solid. He heaved a big sigh and said a silent farewell to his poor departed brother frog and then scrambled up to the top of the big lump of butter he had just churned, hopped out of the pail and off towards his home in the swamp. That's the very first story. The very first step in anything and everything you do 
you must keep fighting. You must keep fighting. Whether you're fighting weakness, whether you're fighting bad habits, or you're fighting the idea of giving up on things that are important to you, you must keep fighting. Because no one is going to fight for your loved ones, your life, or your future more than you will. You, you may be dealing with a certain period in your, in your time where you seem like you can't catch a break. You're just in a pail, just going around in circles, just, just fighting for your life, fighting for air. And it feels like nothing that you are doing is gaining traction. I tell you what, though, that miracle will never come. That opportunity will never reveal itself to you if you stop fighting. That is what the very first story tells us. That's what the very first story teaches us. It teaches us to keep fighting. Our next story is about a plant. And to be specific, it's about a water hyacinth. So a hyacinth is basically like a, a lily pad type thing that likes to grow but it flowers, it buds, it likes to grow on lakes and things of that nature. Whether you know what it is or not, you will get something from this story. So let's figure out what this second story is trying to teach us. Here we go. Once there was a little water hyacinth that grew near the edge of a big pond. It had dreams of seeing the other side of the pond, but when it murmured to itself about these dreams, the water just laughed and lapped at it dismissively. The other side, indeed, for a tiny plant that couldn't even move? Impossible. The water hyacinth can typically be found floating on the surface of ponds in warm climates around the world, and it is a beautiful plant with delicate six-petaled flowers that range from purplish blue to lavender to pink. This particular plant was a very perfect specimen. It was very beautiful, very small, and very delicate. However, and this was something the water didn't know, the water hyacinth is also one of the most productive plants on earth with a reproductive rate that astonishes botanists and ecologists. A single plant can produce as many as 5,000 seeds, but its preferred method for colonizing a new area is not to cast its seeds to the wind and the water, but instead to grow by doubling itself, sending out short runner stems that become daughter plants. The first day this little water hyacinth appeared, nobody but the water even noticed that it was there. Nobody noticed it on the second day either, as it doubled, nor on the third or the fourth, as it doubled again and then once more. It was so insignificant, in fact, that for the first two weeks, even though it had doubled in size every day, you would have had to search hard to see it at all. By day 15, it had reproduced to cover barely one square foot of water, a tiny dollop of lavender pink dotting the pond's glassy green surface. On day 20, two-thirds of the way through the month, one person passing by the pond noticed the little patch of foliage floating off to the side, but mistook it for a lost bath towel or perhaps a miscarded piece of wrapping paper. More than one week later, on day 29, Half of the pond's surface was still open water. And on day 30, just 24 hours later, the water's surface had totally disappeared. The entire pond had been overtaken by a rich blanket of purple-pink water hyacinth. So this, this story about the water hyacinth, this story about the plant, teaches you the power of the eighth wonder of the world. And that is compound interest.
If we had to define God as something scientific and somewhat measurable, something that we could begin to wrap our heads around, I've always believed that the scientific representation of God is time. Time is omnipotent. Time is omnipresent. Mountains are weathered down by time. The Grand Canyon is created by time. This earth was created by time. When you harness the power of compound interest in your life, you take baby steps towards the goals that you are taking steps to while harnessing the power of God. That is the eighth wonder of the world. And that is the lesson of this second story. The first story teaches us to fight. The second story teaches us to use compound interest. And that means you must build. You must build your habits. You must continue not only to fight. You must have that passion to fight, but you must take just action, just repeated action in the things that you know you truly need to be doing or the things you know you truly want to do. Otherwise, you will never harness the power of the eighth wonder in the world, compound interest. Okay, so now it's time to move on to the third story that gives us the final thing that we should use in order to apply that champagne throttle to a better life. This third story is about two Egyptian princes. So here we go. A great Egyptian pharaoh summons his twin nephews, Chuma and Azur, and commissions them to a majestic task. Build two monumental pyramids as tribute to Egypt. Upon completion of each nephew's pyramid, Pharaoh promises each an immediate reward of kingship, retirement amidst riches and lavish luxury for the rest of their natural lives. Additionally, each nephew must construct this pyramid alone. Chuma and Azur, both 18 years old, know their daunting task will take years to complete. Nonetheless, each is primed for the challenge and honored by the Pharaoh's directive. They exit Pharaoh's chambers, ready to begin the long pyramid building process. Azur begins immediately. He slowly drags large, heavy stones into a square formation. After a few months, the base of Azur's pyramid takes shape. Townsfolk gather around Azur's constructive efforts and praise his handiwork. The stones are heavy and difficult to move. And after one year of heavy labor, Azur's perfect square foundation to the pyramid is nearly finished. But Azur is perplexed. The plot of land that should bear Chuma's pyramid is empty. Not one stone has been laid, no foundation, no dirt engravings, nothing. It's as barren as it was a year ago when Pharaoh commissioned the job. Confused, Azur visits Chuma's home and finds him in his barn diligently working on a twisted apparatus that resembles some kind of human torture device. Azur interrupts, Chuma! What the hell are you doing? You're supposed to be building Pharaoh a pyramid and you spend your days locked in this barn fiddling with that crazy machine? Chuma cracks a smile and says, I am building a pyramid. Leave me alone. Azure scoffs. Yeah, sure you are. You haven't laid one stone in over a year. Chuma, engrossed but unfazed by his brother's accusation, retorts, Azure, your short-sightedness and your thirst for wealth have clouded your vision. You build your pyramid, and I will build mine. As Azure walks away, he chides, You fool! Pharaoh will hang you in the gallows when he discovers your treason. Another year passes, and Azure solidifies the base of his pyramid and begins on the second level. Except a problem arises. Azure struggles in his progress. 
The stones are heavy and he cannot raise them to the pyramid's second level. Challenged by his physical limitations, Azure recognizes his weakness. He needs more strength to move heavier stones and to do so seeks the counsel of Benmu, Egypt's strongest man. For a fee, Benmu trains Azure to build bigger and stronger muscles. With great strength, Azure anticipates the heavier stones will be easier to lift onto the higher levels. Meanwhile, Chuma's pyramid plot is still vacant. Azure assumes his brother has a death wish. By all appearances, Chuma is violating Pharaoh's mandate. Azure forgets about his brother and his non-existent pyramid. Another year passes and Azure's pyramid construction slows to a disheartening crawl. One stone placement takes one month. Moving stones to the upper levels require great strength and Azure spends much of his time working with Benmu to build greater strength. Additionally, Azure is spending most of his money on counseling fees and the exotic diet required for the training. Azure estimates that at his current construction pace, his pyramid will be completed in another 30 years. Unfazed, Azure lauds, after three years, I've far surpassed my brother. He hasn't placed one stone yet, that fool. Then suddenly, one day while hauling a heavy stone, Azure hears a loud commotion erupting from the town square. The townsfolk that are regular observers of his work abruptly abandon his plot to examine the celebratory fuss. Curious himself, Azure leaves to investigate. Surrounded by a cheering crowd, Chuma trolls up the town square commandeering a 25-foot contraption, a towering machine built from a twisted maze of gantries, wheels, levers, and ropes. As Chuma slowly moves up the village street amidst the jubilant crowd, Azure fears the explanation. After a short walk to Chuma's barren pyramid plot, Azure's suspicions are confirmed. Within minutes, Chuma's strange machine starts moving heavy stones and begins to lay the foundation to his pyramid. One after another, the machine effortlessly lifts the stones and softly places them side by side into place. Miraculously, the machine requires little effort for Chuma's operation. Crank a wheel attached to a rope and a lever entwined by a gear system in bingo. Heavy stones are moved quickly and magically. While Azure's pyramid foundation took over a year to build, Chuma lines up the foundation to his pyramid within one week. The second level that Azure struggled with is more shocking. Chuma's machine does the work 30 times quicker. What took Azure two months takes Chuma's machine two days. After 40 days, Chuma and his machine accomplish as much as Azure's three years of toilsome work. The revelation destroys Azure. He spent years doing the heavy lifting while Chuma built a machine to do it for him. Instead of honoring the machine, Azure stubbornly vows, I must get stronger. I must lift heavier stones. Azure continues the hard labor of pyramid building while Chuma continues to work the crank of his machine. After eight years, Chuma finishes his pyramid at age 26, three years to build the system and five years to reap the benefits of the system. The great Pharaoh is pleased and does as promised. He rewards Chuma with kingship and endows him with great riches. Chuma never has to work another day in his life. Meanwhile, Azure continues to dredge away at the same old routine. Lift rocks, waste time and money to get stronger. Lift rocks and get stronger. 
Sadly, Azure refuses to acknowledge his flawed strategy and endures the same old process. Carry heavy stones until you can lift no more and then get stronger so you can lift heavier stones. This mindless prescription leads Azure to a lifetime of sweat and drudgery. He never finishes his pyramid promise to Pharaoh simply because he decides to do the heavy lifting himself when he should have focused on a system to do it for him. Azure has a heart attack and dies while on the 12th level of his pyramid, just two levels from finishing. He never experiences the great riches promised by Pharaoh. Meanwhile, Chuma retires 40 years early in a crown of luxury. Sloshing in free time, Chuma goes on to become Egypt's greatest scholar and an accomplished inventor. He's entombed alongside Pharaoh in the same pyramid he built. This story, it teaches us the importance of building reliable systems. It takes a lot of work out of your everyday task for you to have a system, whether it's a morning routine, an evening routine. Even think back on my dojo series. I don't have a problem picking up women in today's society because I have a system that I go off in my mind that helps me with whatever I do. I have a I have a systematic approach to working out. I have a systematic approach to uh, approaching women and interacting with women. I have a systematic approach of the way that I handle my finances because our, our brains, we only have so much willpower in a day. And the more that you are able to put your remedial task, your task that you do over and over into machines and into systems, that way your brain doesn't have to think about it. You allow your brain to have the freedom to think about other things, to think about ways to enhance your life or the life of your loved ones. The very first story, it taught us that we must fight. The very first story about that frog who refused to give up and ended up churning butter out of the milk that he was dropped in teaches us that we must fight or we die. We must fight for ourselves or we die. Nobody else is going to fight for us. The second story teaches us to harness the power of compound interest. Time is the most omnipotent and omnipresent force this universe has ever seen, has ever seen. Even stars, even the sun will eventually succumb to father time. We must harness its power. We must fight, but we must continuously fight. In the last story, it teaches us the importance of building a system, not only to fight and not only to fight repeatedly, but to fight smartly, to, to fight a little bit smarter and to have your actions be much more worthwhile by creating a system that will be much more effective than you ever would be, whether that's building a tribe of like minded people around you. Writing content when you know you need to do that every single day. Making it easier for yourself to go to the gym by having your gym clothes already packed and downstairs the morning before. Making it easier to drink water by carrying around like your 50 ounce water jug. Do whatever you have to do. Create any kind of system that you can because life is a lot shorter than we give it credit for. It is a lot shorter. You, this could be the last time you ever hear me in a podcast. This could be the last time I ever hear from from some of you. Life is just unpredictable and life is short in that manner. So we need to use our time wisely. And we do that by building machines with these three stories. Let this episode be the episode of Champagne Throttle. You can always return to to find your way back to where you need to go.
This is champagne throttle. This is accelerating towards our sexual, our financial and our spiritual success in life. We're not over here pretending like we know it all. We're not pretending like we have every single thing figured out. But what we are going to do is build. And what I'm going to do is provide value to you, my loyal listeners. I really appreciate you sticking around this far. Return to this episode whenever you need a little bit of motivation. I hope this has helped you. I want you to have a great day. Take care of yourself. Uh, If you have any topics that you want me to talk about, please email me. Please email me at champagnethrottle at gmail.com. I'm working on a lot of things lately. Uh, I will provide my Twitter in the description of this podcast also. You can contact me there if you have questions. I just want to thank you once again. You all take it easy. And until next time, peace.